all you have. You're now tuned in to the caucus race. So just sit back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey, Star Wars family, guess who's here to rock your galactic socks off? It's your host with the most, Kyle, and I am ready to take you on an audio escapade called Star Wars Audio Archives. Brace yourself for an explosion of fun and excitement. I hope you are buzzing with cosmic energy because you will need to tie yourself down for this hyperspace adventure that awaits us. Last week's part was just a teaser because now it's time to get this party going. Prepare for a cosmic adventure overflowing with high-octane action and exhilarating thrill. Let's dive headfirst into this interstellar celebration and make some unforgettable memories together. Are you ready? Then let's get this party started. Zoe was staring at her brother when Scabrous's blade sliced him apart. Trace staggered back, wobbling on his feet, and as he wheeled around toward her, she saw that he'd been cut wide open from neck to belly. No! It came out like a choke. No! Trace stumbled again, fighting to keep on his feet. The wound in his abdomen was even deeper than she'd first thought, pouring out whatever remained of his life. From where she stood, she could see pigtails of small intestine poking visibly from beneath his ribs. Trace's cheeks had gone chalky white. Blood pattered on the floor between his feet, and he skidded in the puddle and fell, first to his knees, then to his back, where he lay motionless in front of her. He looked like a dancer for whom all music had permanently stopped. He stretched out one hand, Zo, and then nothing. No, no, no. That was easy, Scabrous snarled and turned to her. You're next. Zo shook her head. It wasn't going to happen like this, she wanted to say. It didn't get to end this way. He didn't get to win. But Scabrous was lumbering toward her, circling the pool of blood and the hole in the floor. The last dregs of his humanity had drained from his face, and now he was a shambling skeleton, a thing like those things that had dropped from the tower. When he opened his mouth again to speak... All he could do was scream. His transformation was complete. Estizo? She closed her eyes and heard that voice again, ringing out, growing steadier, like a sleeper awakening from a deep and disorienting coma. Are you there? She asked the orchid. Are you alive? Silence. And then... Felt the sickness for so long... Thought I was dead. Never mind that now. Just grow. Hestizo, please, grow. Not sure I'm strong enough yet to grow, Zoe cried out, shouting at the orchid, needing more than anything to be heard. Grow. Grow. For the sake of my brother and all that he lost. For my sake. Just... The scabrous thing stopped in its tracks. The rotting chamber of its skull cocked slightly to one side, as if it had just heard an unfamiliar sound. A voice shouting out from a far-off room. With one gnarled, spade-claw hand, it reached up and clutched at its left ear, working the finger around inside and wincing at the results. Zoe could see something inside the gray shell of his ear. Just a glimpse. But a glimpse was enough. Something was inside there, and it was green. The scabrous thing made one final effort at speech. At the same moment, an abrupt, brilliant javelin of pain sprang across the demolished remnants of its face, like a glint of light from a broken mirror. Then its head, its entire upper body, lurched forward. Its right hand opened, releasing the Sith sword, dropping it, letting it rattle to the stone floor. When the thing slung itself around sideways, Zoe saw the thin green tendril sprouting out of its ear, spreading downward to trace the exposed mandible that made up the jawline. Its mouth fell open. Just beyond its teeth and tongue, she saw another flash of green, darker, thicker, a stalk poking upward in the back of its gullet. 
the thing that had once been Darth Scabrus began to convulse, producing not a scream now, but a milky, gagging cough, as if to expel the green, to get it out. But the stalk only grew farther, stretching outward over the rag of the corpse's tongue. A second runner was sprouting up alongside it, twisting down over its chin. As Scabrus's head went backward, Zoe saw the vine reaching down out of its left nostril. The vine began stretching straight out, oddly curious-looking, with a single petal from its tip, like a tiny hand reaching for the sky. An orchid blossom. The Scabrus thing fell to its knees in front of her, next to Rojo Trace's body. No more sound came out, not even a rasping wheeze. Its temples were bulging now, rippling with what looked like veins, except the vein shadows were moving under whatever remained of the crepe paper skin, shifting and squirming around its eye sockets. Hands opening and closing randomly at its sides, Scabrus made a soft, hiccuping whimper. The right half of its skull bulged, the skin splitting open. Grow, Zoe told the orchid. One last time, no longer an order or even an instruction, but just a word. Grow. The Sith Lord stared up at her, its one remaining eye filling with blood. Its lips puckered, twitched, and fell still. Its skull exploded in a thick nest of vines. The corpse slumped the rest of the way down, right arm flopping bonelessly to the floor, while the left was tucked under it in a mock protective gesture. The next time Zoe looked at the thing, she saw only the severed neck teeming with mad floral life. Dozens of small black blossoms erupting amid the demolished kettle of the thing's skull. The vines were already stretching out toward her, screeching and hissing in her mind. Can't hold them back, the Murakami told her. I can grow them, but I can't control. Zoe shook her head. I can. And reaching down, she picked up the Sith sword. The blossom screamed as she hacked them off at the vine, the arms of the scabrous thing still groping blindly for her as she swung the sword. The floor beneath her littered with shrieking black buds and petals. She stepped on them indiscriminately, crushing them under her feet as she forced the scabrous thing backward toward the wall, the blade still swinging until every vine had been cut down to the stump of the neck. This is for Rojo, she thought and rammed the Sith sword through the torso of the thing that had once called itself Darth Scabrus, plunging it home as hard as she could with both hands, embedding it in the black wall behind him, pinning him there. The Sith Lord's body trembled once. Zoe staggered back, hair dangling in her face, chest on fire, trying to recover her breath. Her arms hung at her sides, limp and exhausted. Heat crackled behind her. Orange flames from the toppled brazier spreading along the far side of the wall. Her lungs weren't the only things that were burning. In her mind, the orchid was making its enervated clicking noises, warning her that she had to get out of here now. She was starting to turn away from Scabrous's headless corpse when it sprang at her again, arms outstretched, jerking the Sith sword halfway out of the wall with the suddenness of its attack. The raw green ends of slashed vines bristled up from the hole in its neck as if it were still, against all odds, trying to scream at her. As the hilt of the sword struck its breastbone, halting its advance... Zoe grabbed her brother's lightsaber and switched it on, even as the shriek of rage burst up from her lips. Enough! She slashed the lightsaber across the corpse's torso, hacking it cleanly in half, so that its lower body dropped to the floor while the chest, arms, and neck remained pinned to the wall. Still shrieking, inarticulate now, she cut through the legs and pelvis, chopping them to pieces, and then turned her attention to what was left on the wall, swinging Rojo's lightsaber back and forth, reducing the upper torso to chunks of smoking, twitching flesh. 
only when she realized that she was literally unable to cut it down anymore did she finally deactivate the lightsaber. She looked around the temple. The fire had now spread across a full two-thirds of the floor, still rising. The flames reaching shoulder height, heat rippling visible in the air. It was already starting to creep this way, as if drawn to the chopped-off petals and vine sections scattered over here. Take them, she thought. Burn it all. Hestizo, the orchid's voice murmured in her mind. I am so sorry. I was sick, and I couldn't. I just couldn't. I know. Bending down, she gathered her brother's body in her arms and lifted him up pressed his cold cheek next to hers. Pulling his eyelids shut, she looked slowly upward, up the seemingly endless wall toward the faint gray promise of daylight. I'm sorry. She kissed his cheek, crying a little, and released him, laying him slowly back down. Then she went to the far wall, running her hands over it. Again she saw the lines of inscription that had been carved deep into the sleek black stone, row after row, going all the way up. Scabrus had told her that Darth Dreer had built this temple to achieve immortality, engraving the walls with writings, plans that signaled the end of the Jedi. Instead, it would be her salvation. Hooking her fingertips into the chiseled letters, using the carved words for a toehold... She drew herself up and began to climb. Twenty meters from the top, she saw them staring down at her. They were crouched on all sides of the rectangular opening of the pit, gripping the edge, their faces peering over, eyes shining and hungry in the flickering orange light that shimmered up from the bottom of the pit. Thin, pink liquid trickled down from their half-open mouths. So, so many of them. For an instant, Zoe stopped and clung there, shuddering, her fingertips numb and bleeding from the endless trek up the wall. Every centimeter of her body was dripping with sweat. Her hands had cramped so badly now that it felt like someone had hammered nails through the knuckles. The muscles in her calves trembled and twitched, begging for release. If it weren't for the force, she knew she never would have made it this far. But now that she saw what was waiting for her up above, they opened their mouths as one and screamed. Zoe turned away with a grimace, feeling the ghastly infected wind of their breath washing down over her as she stared down to the bottom of the pit. Flames had overtaken Drear's ancient temple now, smoke rising so that she could no longer see her brother's body or the remains of what once had been Darth Scabrus. Then she looked up again. They were starting to crawl down the walls toward her. Corpses of the Sith students of the Academy on Odesser Fauston, scurrying down over the walls in her direction with that clutching, fly-like speed. The appetite in their faces was unmistakable now. Hestizo, the orchid's voice murmured. I'll try to grow in them. I'll try. But when the vines come, I don't think... Zoe nodded once, grimly. There was nothing else to do. She tried to summon the Force, sought out that sense of refuge and peace that had come immediately before she'd slipped free of the straps on the table, and found only a numb, mute absence, like the phantom sensations from an amputated limb. She was too preoccupied. She had let fear invade her too thoroughly and couldn't concentrate. The closest of the things was almost on her now, its mouth peeling back in anticipation. It was going to scream again, Zoe realized, and then it was going to leap at her. She started to recoil, and her toes slipped from the crack in the rock where they had been planted. Zoe felt a silent gasp escape from her lips. For one dizzying, gut-shrinking second, she was dangling by her fingertips, feet kicking out in empty space, unable to find anything to catch on to. The thing crawling down toward her was now nearly close enough to touch, the rabbit urgency blazing out from the center of its stupid dead face. Hestizo, the orchid shouted out. Hestizo, don't let go. Can't hold on. I can't hold on. Her fingers slipped, 
and she felt herself starting to fall. At that same moment, the wall crawler sprang down at her, gripping the carved inscriptions in the black, glossy surface with its left hand, while its right swung down to clamp around her throat. Something popped in Zoe's larynx, and she felt the cold, slippery tension of its thumb and forefinger pinch tight over her neck like an iron clamp, hauling her back upward. It screamed again, so loud that she actually felt it pushing in her eardrums, surging into her skull like warm wax. They were all screaming, scampering downward, filling the inside of the long shaft with their bodies as they crawled toward her, so that Zoe's watering eyes could no longer make out the surface itself, nor the words chiseled on it. Now the wall was just a solid layer of rippling flesh. The thing that had her by the throat swung her upward with impossible strength, hoisting her toward its salivating mouth. Zoe flung her hands up, an instinctive defensive gesture, hands slapping off the cold skin of the thing that was crawling over her current attacker, possibly with the intention of getting at her before the other corpse could. It grabbed her right arm, the other seized her left. They began to yank her back and forth, her arms jerking in their sockets, here clinging hundreds of meters over the burning remains of Scabrous's temple. She was going to be ripped to pieces. Grow. Zoe wasn't even sure if it was the orchid or she herself who thought the word. But it didn't matter anymore. Through faint and fading eyes, she saw green tendrils spreading out from their ears, pushing out from their nostrils. But it was too late. There were too many of them. That was when the blaster bolt tore down from above, ripping a hole in the wall. When Zoe looked up again, she saw it plainly. It was brilliant white light, so full and intense that it brought tears flooding up into her lids where they welled over and spilled down her cheeks. What? A second blast pounded off the wall, several meters above, shaking the entire passage. She threw one hand up and gripped the craggy edge of the crater it had left in the wall, elbowing her way until she had something like a solid grasp. Now the light was pulsing down everywhere, filling her vision, flooding it from above. By the time the third blast struck, she had crawled completely into the rough-hewn hole, tucking her legs up behind her. The great pit reverberated violently around her. Bodies were dropping from above, shaking from their perches and plummeting downward past her, still screaming, shrieking, clutching together as if somehow the infernal bond that death had forged among them might save them. She watched them tumbling down into the fire. Turning her head upward, she saw how many were left. Dozens still, but they were slithering back up toward the top of the pit, clambering away so that they wouldn't fall. Zoe blinked. Something was dangling in front of her face from up above, long and slender. It's a vine, she thought. Another vine. And if I never see one of those again, it will be too soon. But it wasn't a vine. It was a tow cable. Zoe leaned forward out of the blast crater and seized hold of the cable with both arms, clutching it tight to her chest, then looping it about her waist and tying it clumsily around herself, somehow managing to knot it under her arms. She didn't trust her mangled fingers to grasp anything for another second, even with her life depending on it. Her hands felt dead and numb, like cold roast nerf that had been grafted to her wrists. She pushed herself off with her legs, tumbling free. She dropped, and then the cord snapped tight, constricting just above her breasts. Her body dangling, swinging from side to side like a pendulum in the middle of the shaft. Then, slowly, she felt herself being lifted up toward the bluish-white lights from above. Zoe let her head tilt back. Wincing, pupils straining against the brightness... She could just discern vague shapes above her, 
oblong rectangles and long tubes that she assumed were part of the library ceiling. As she came up out of the pit, her mind registered several things at once. This portion of the roof had been completely blasted away, exposing the open space and the shaft to the elements. Snow was blowing down through the streams of white light. Landing lights, she realized now. What she'd assumed was the high ceiling was really the underbelly of the spacecraft whose hatchway stood open, the tow rope pulling her up inside it. After a moment, she recognized it. It was the miracle. As the cable drew her inside, something reached out of the darkness, and Zoe felt cold, talon-like claws fasten over her shoulders and hips, dragging her up. Abruptly, she realized that she was too weak to fight anymore, too fatigued. Whatever had taken the effort to drag her out, she couldn't resist it anymore. Get in here, Tolka's voice growled. Zoe opened her eyes and saw the whippet crouched down in front of her, squatting on his haunches, face half-hidden in shadow. On the other side, a droid, Darth Scabrus's valet, the HK, she realized, was peering at her with that incurious, analytic gaze unique to highly developed artificial intelligence. She seems all right. I need to run a diagnostic scan on her to make sure she's not infected. It paused, and a small steel panel slid open in its breastplate, extruding a slender syringe. This might sting a bit. Sting? Zoe would have laughed if she weren't so completely undone by terror and exhaustion. After everything she'd been through, the needle hardly registered. She allowed the droid to draw its blood sample, and for a moment there was no sound except for the whir of its processors and the low, steady rumble of the ship's turbines. Sample is clean. She's uninfected. The whippet didn't say anything. Just grunted and made the shrugging gesture of one who'd expected no less. Then hoisted himself up and began to lumber away. Zoe levered herself up on her elbows. Talka, she managed. Her voice was hoarse. She could scarcely produce more than a scraped-out sounding whisper. Talka! He stopped without turning around, looking slowly back over his shoulder. Thanks. Another shrug. Wasn't my idea. Yeah, I bet. Zoe let out a breath, allowing herself to sink back down against the cool metal skin of the Miracle's hold. The HK was still hovering over her, its visual receptors pulsing and blinking in the half-light of the glowing maintenance arrays. Who's flying this thing? Zoe asked. Someone named Purgus Frode. He... Who? The HK didn't respond right away. I'm picking up some form of contamination. Very close by. Zoe stared at it. I thought you said I was clean. You are... The whirring sound had grown louder. Now it sounded alarmed. But something else on board this vessel is... The ship slammed sideways, tilting hard to port, throwing Zoe backward against the bulkhead. Klaxons blared and whooped up above, accompanied by the wild swirl of blue lights. She sat up just in time to see the HK rounding the corner, heading for the steel rungs that led upward through the oval hatchway to the main flight deck. Wait! What's happening? The droid didn't answer, even as she chased it upward, following it through the gangway and into the cockpit. By the time the second explosion struck the Miracle, she didn't need an answer. She already knew. They were under attack. brown-haired, haggard-looking maintenance engineer in the pilot's seat had both hands locked on the ship's controls, his expression stretching somewhere between worry and outright disbelief. Outside the Miracle's hull, another blast rocked the vessel backward over the shrill whooping of the ship's collision alarms. 
Zoe heard steel splintering off the underside of one of its wings. What's shooting at us? she asked. Scabrous's perimeter cannons, the man shouted, jerking his head forward. Red and white emergency beacons pulsed off his face. Down below! Zoe gripped the back of the pilot's seat and stared out through the canopy's viewport. What she saw below was enough to freeze her blood. They were still hovering over the planet, no more than half a kilometer above the blizzard-smothered surface of Odacer Fauston. Between the fallen temples and stone buildings, the heavy guns that had come thrusting up out of the ground itself were turreting back around, tilting upward, energy beams hammering the ship in heavy bursts of artillery. Get us out of here, Zoe shouted. It's not that simple. They're laying down a solid wall of restraining fire across the upper horizon. What? They don't want us to leave. Frode whipped back around and met her gaze. His eyes were surprisingly blue. And I can't maintain the deflector shields on this piece of junk. Where's Tolka? Zoe asked. Who? The Whippet, the guy that owns the ship. The HK didn't respond right away. Zoe fought the urge to grab the thing by its processors and shake it. She couldn't imagine the Whippet idly standing by while Sith cannons blasted his ship to pieces. But she hadn't seen him since he'd stalked off. And if the droid knew something about that, can you deactivate the cannons? She asked. The HK emitted a low, resigned buzz. Not by remote. Not anymore. How can we stop them? They're going to blow us out of the sky. The main control system is inside the tower. I might be able to override the system manually, but that would mean... Another fusillade of blasts, the biggest yet, hammered the Miracall from below, almost hurling it sideways. Zoe toppled into the co-pilot's chair and strapped herself in, fastening the restraining web around her shoulder and waist. She saw whole rows of durasteel turrets protruding up from the snow now, their cannons flinging wave after wave of red pulses up at the ship. Take us down, she shouted at Frode, pointing across the landscape where Scabrus's tower rose up like a single black accusatory finger stabbing back at them. Frode, for his part, didn't argue, ramming the stick hard to the side so that the Miracle shot down and over, dipping across the Academy's buildings and then angling upward again. For an instant, the top of the tower appeared beneath them like a flat black disc encircled in lights from below. And there was a sharp scraping cough of metal on metal as the Miracle's landing gear settled on its roof. Another round of blaster fire strafed the air directly in front of them, the last of the bolts slamming into the ship's side, ricocheting off. There was a new steady high-pitched whine siphoning down to silence as the last of the deflector shields failed. Hurry, Frode snapped grimly. We're not going to last another 30 seconds up here. The HK had already disappeared from the cockpit, angling back down the hatchway to the hold below. A moment later, an alarm shrilled, announcing an open hatchway. Zoe and Frode stared out of the cockpit at the top of the tower. No, she rasped. What? Zoe pointed, a terrible coldness spreading over her as her throat tightened with revulsion. Gazing out into the first tremulous gray swirls of dawn, she could already see the first of the things crawling up from inside the tower's upper chamber onto the roof, squirming through the broken windows of its top level, closing in on the ship. The tower was infested with corpses, she realized, packed solid with them. Her mind whirled back to what the droid had said. Is there anybody else aboard? Just that whippet bounty hunter, Frode scowled. Why? The HK said there was an infection aboard. What? He looked down at himself, hands patting his flight suit as if searching for some indication of illness. Where? It didn't say, but... A 
massive blast of energy smashed into the side of the Miracle, hard enough to knock it off its landing gear and send it skidding crookedly across the roof of the tower right toward the edge. Through the cockpit, Zoe saw the front end of the ship spin forward, slashing into the mob of corpses clustered in front of it, shoving them off the roof and sending them spilling down off the roof of the tower in waves. The ship kept sliding, lurched, tilted, and dropped nose first into freefall. Suddenly, Zoe realized she was looking straight down at the surface of the planet, hurtling up toward them. We're going down, her mind cried out. We're going to... Frode punched the engines, and the Miracall swung violently upward at the last possible second, skimming off the rocky outcropping of Sith architecture and pulling up, streaking skyward. Spinning in her seat, Zoe looked back at the tower, clearly visible now in the morning light. Its roof was crawling with the Sith things. Every student at the academy who had been infected, seething up from the windows and surging forward to fill the empty space where the Miracle had just been. They were out there, open-mouthed, screaming together. And although Zoe couldn't hear their cry, some part of her could feel it resonating through her chest cavity, through her mind and heart. She knew it would be a long time before that scream faded completely from her memory. If it ever did. The droid must have gotten to the main controls, Frode said, pointing down. Look. Zoe turned to see Scabrus's ground-based turbolasers pivoting back around. At first, she thought they were targeting the ship again. Then she realized they had continued to rotate until at least a dozen of the cannons had trained their digital crosshairs on the same central target, the tower. The droid, Zoe thought. The HK. It's still up there. The laser cannons fired together, each one of them spitting a solid beam of energy directly at the top of the tower. The blasts collided simultaneously, and the tower exploded in a blinding spray of shrapnel and flame. A vast cloud of secondary combustion spreading out from inside, widening in a vast, all-consuming ring as the main and secondary reactors blew. The report was colossal, world-shattering. Up in the cockpit, Pergus Frode, who knew precious little about combustion or reactors, but grasped the fundamentals of self-preservation on a very personal level, had the presence of mind to open the Miracle's thrusters all the way. It was the only thing that kept the ship from getting sucked back into the shockwave. And it was enough. Hitting escape velocity, penetrating Odacer Faustin's atmosphere, and already preparing herself for the jump to light speed, Zoe could still feel the tremors shuddering through the ship. When she looked down at her fingers... She saw that she was gripping the armrests of the co-pilot seat hard enough to blanch her knuckles white. With some deliberate effort, she let go, cleared her throat, and held out one hand to the man flying the ship. By the way, she said in a shaky voice, I'm Hestizo Trace. Pergus froed. He let out a breath and took her hand. Pleased to meet you. Nice flying. I've done a bit of it in my time, he said, and a faint frown line appeared above his right eyebrow. Wait, where are you going? Back into the hold, Zoe said. I need to check on something. She stepped slowly into the trophy room, paying attention to every detail. The chamber where she'd first awakened was just as she remembered it. The bones and pelts... The skulls on the wall, the whippets' arrays of kill trophies, all surprisingly ordered and organized despite the ship being slammed and tossed by blaster attack. It was as if someone, or something, had just come through and straightened everything up. The closed-in air was thick with the stink of spilled liquid fat, oily fires, and the cloying, constant reek of dried blood. She took another step ducking under a row of rusty meat hooks dangling from pulleys over her head, 
and paused, staring deep into the far corner. There was something huddled there, crouched away from the light, a low, bulky form whose outline eluded shape or detail. She could hear it making low breathing sounds. Tulka? The form shifted, squirming slightly, just enough that Zoe glimpsed one of the glassine eyes looking up at her. The whippet, she realized, had bolted himself to the wall, clamping himself into an array of heavy chains and cables with an additional metal brace, a type of slaving collar, it looked like, pinned around his massive neck. Thick red cloths and seeping sores had already taken root in the fur around his face. What happened, she asked. Tulka snorted, raised his head, jaws creaking open. What's it look like? Zoe drew in a sharp breath. Despite everything she'd seen so far, she felt a thin stiletto of shock slide through her at the sight of the whippet's ravaged face. The right eye, the entire right side of his head, had swollen up horribly, ballooning with infection and necrotic tissue working busily within. Weeping pustules across his brow and cheek trickled with syrupy, thick discharge down the front of his chest. Even the tusk that jutted up from the right side of his jaw had turned a sickly yellow shade, like a cavity-rotted tooth. You? she asked. Tulka made a guttural croaking noise, gesturing at the restraints that he'd placed on himself. Lock myself in, he managed. I can feel it. It's coming on. How did... Snow lizard. What? Infected one. It spat on me. Tulka made a rueful sound that might actually have been a wry chuckle. Must have gotten blood in my eyes. After everything else that's happened. Maybe... Here. He raised one hand and Zoe saw that he was clutching the broken end of his spear. The one that he'd been carrying with them. Perhaps half a meter of the shaft remained, tipped with a flinty arrowhead edge that looked just as razor-sharp as it had the first time she'd seen it. Keep that. Might bring you luck. Listen, she said. The sickness affected you differently. You're still alive. Maybe there's a way we can... Maslot. What? He jerked his head back at the two-meter wall to which he'd bolted himself, and Zoe saw the black rubberized seal encircling it its outer edges slightly rounded like the curves on an old-fashioned monitor screen. This whole back panel drops away. Blow the seal with that switch on the far wall. Zoe glanced back at the switch plate that the whippet had gestured to, on the opposite side of the hold. She remembered seeing it the first time she'd been here, seeing the writing but being unable to make it out under the scrum of moss that had grown over it. The moss was thinner now, and she could see the single word in all capital sans-serif letters. Maslot. It means airlock, Tulka said, nodding. Go ahead, do it. Maybe now. Tulka lunged forward hard enough to make the chain snap tight, the bolts creaking in their studs. He thrust the spear at her, business end first this time, hurling it and Zoe dodged out of the way as it clattered off the far side of the chamber, then fell to the floor amid a pile of skulls. Tulka slumped backward, seemingly exhausted by the effort. When he raised his head at her again, light had shifted in his eyes, thin and slanting, a shade that she didn't recognize. A burbling snarl escaped his lips. Backing off, Zoe went to pick up the broken spear, bent down and curled her fingers around it and returned her attention to the airlock switch. There was precious little mercy shown here in the past day. If the whippet asked her for a quick death, she thought she'd seen enough to grant it. But the shriek came from behind her, a deafening blast. Spinning around, she saw the thing in the doorway of the trophy room lunge at her. A Sith student, one she'd never seen before, was flinging himself at her, its corpse mouth gaping open in an oval rictus. The 
thing's eyes were bright green and wild, like emeralds on fire, and long strings of orange-red hair dangled back over its shoulders, swinging and snapping wildly around its face as it tried to bite her. Its academy tunic was a stiff apron of gore. Zoe slammed the spear into its face, driving it backward, but not nearly far enough. The thing bolted at her a second time, and when it screamed, Zoe could hear Tulka screaming behind her in exactly the same pitch and volume. The sickness, she knew, was fully awake inside him. There wasn't anything she could do about it now. Use the force. It was the orchid's voice in her head, faint but distinct, guiding her. Focus, Hestizo. She nodded to herself, her hands already moving up, reaching forward the way they sometimes did when she was deeply attuned to the great energy field surrounding her. The Sith thing, she somehow knew that its name had once been Lusk, and that it had been promised this ultimate role by the sickness that had overtaken him, rammed into her. Zoe grabbed it by the front of its blood-stiffened uniform and thrust the body straight upward into the air. She swung him up and over, face first into the meat hook dangling over her head so that the underside of his jaw dropped straight down onto the hook's rusty barb, impaling him up through the mouth. The Sith thing twitched and thrashed in the air, legs kicking furiously, arms jerking but unable to get itself free. Now, Hestizo, now. She circled behind it, got her footing, and shoved. The hooks and their pulleys were on tracks running from one side of the hole to the other. And the Sith thing went careening forward across the hole, still dangling by its jaw, and crashed directly into Tulka. The whippet yanked one arm free, threw back his head, and screamed again. Now! Zoe threw one arm up, found another cable dangling from above, and wrapped it tight around her arm. With her free hand, she reached backward, fingertips extended toward the plain rectangular switch plate. Maslot. There was a sharp, whooshing hiss, like a canister of compressed air being ripped open, and the entire back wall of the hold blew off, the sealed panel vanishing, just gone, sucked out in the void. The whippet and the Sith thing went flying out with it in a frantic cyclone wash of skins, pelts, and bones spilling out into space. Zoe held on. The cable bit into her forearm. Behind her, a cauldron of liquefied fat sloshed over sideways, spraying along the floor, and her feet slipped, legs whipping forward toward the opened airlock. She held on. Gripping tight, she pulled herself back until she touched the hatchway leading out of the Miracle's hold and levered herself through it, then managed to hit the console outside, sealing it shut. Her last glimpse of the hold was a bare metal chamber, its contents gutted in a matter of seconds by the vacuum of space. Every scrap of the Whippet's gruesome trophy collection was gone, along with the vegetative growth that had marked her brief stay here. All of it sucked clean into the relentless and insatiable void. In the end, Zoe wasn't surprised. The galaxy she had learned could be a very hungry place. When she arrived back on Marfa, Bennis was waiting for her on Beta Level 7, standing behind a copse of Onderonian bamboo. Hestizo, welcome back! He smiled when he saw her approaching, stepped away from the pale, pewter-colored stalks rising up from the growth lights overhead, and held out his hand. Zoe hugged him instead, probably too tightly, and released when she felt Bennis wince a little. Sorry, it's good to see you again. You as well, he said, patting his chest. Remind me to show you my scar when the bandages come off. It's quite impressive. You're all right now? Soon will be. The Force is a strong healer. His smile slipped, edging into darkness. I heard about Rojo. We all did, of course. Hestizo, I'm so very sorry. She nodded, and for a moment neither of them spoke. There were times when no amount of speech could convey the heart's grief, and silence was the most articulate response. 
After a time, she felt Bennis tentatively reaching for her hand. Come, I have something to show you. She followed him through the long greenhouse, past familiar plants and species, their stalks and branches leaning up over her, some whispering her name, along with the other Jedi who were at work here. Up ahead, she saw the incubation chamber. Bennis opened the hatchway and they stepped inside. Hestizo? She stopped and looked at the Murakami orchid rising up in front of her, its petals wide, practically quivering with expectation and excitement. And she smiled. Hello there. Hestizo, I've heard much about you. Let us talk. We shall... The second of its species, Bennis said. It arrived here just this morning. Suffice it to say, it's been anticipating your return here with great enthusiasm. I'm sure, she said, reaching out to touch the flower's petals. You were with my seed brother, the orchid said, arching toward her. Is that true? Yes, I was, she told it, and thought about the voice of the first orchid, the one that she still heard in her mind. I still am, in a way. He saved my life. Really? Bennis smiled again, the indulgent smile of a proud parent, and gave the orchid a small pat. Easy, he said. There will be plenty of time for that once Hestizo has settled back in with us, I'm sure. Actually, Zo met his eyes. I wanted to speak to you about that. Oh? I'm going to go away for a while. Bennis waited. I'm considering returning to the Jedi Temple at Coruscant to continue my studies. Uh, not that I don't love it here, of course, but I feel... <sighs> there is more for me to learn. He paused for a moment, then nodded, as if he'd expected no less. I had a feeling you might say that. When I was away, I saw things. Zoe drew in a breath and held it until she was fairly certain that her voice was steady again. You have heard about what happened on Odacer Faustin. Some, Bennis admitted, yes. I have nightmares about it now. I probably will for months. And I think... She shook her head. What if it isn't over? What if the sickness that Darth Scabros created got out somehow? Bennis didn't respond, just gazed back at her steadily until Zoe sighed and managed a thin smile. I made a friend, an unlikely ally, a mechanic actually, named Pergus Frode. He's a good pilot. He'll take me to Coruscant. From there, she shrugged. Who knows? I hope you'll stay in touch. And then, with absolute sincerity, Hestizo... Yes? May the Force be with you. Zoe smiled at that old refrain, words that she'd heard all her life, whose meaning she was still learning to understand on a personal level. And with you. They stood together for a moment without speaking. Zoe reached down and brushed her fingers gently over the orchid, then turned and walked out of the incubation chamber, through the research level where she'd spent so much of her adult life. She didn't hurry. She knew that when she arrived at the hangar, Frode would be waiting for her with the ship, ready to take her back to Coruscant, and whatever might be waiting for her there. The mechanic would be a good traveling companion, she sensed. There was a low-key air about him that bespoke dozens of untold stories, events that had made up his life and taken him to the unlikely destination of Odacer Faustin. She felt herself already beginning to trust him. Making her way toward the turbo lift that would take her up and away from all this, Zoe thought about taking one last look back at the plants, the greenery that made her life here. This was the world she knew. Perhaps she should reconsider, give herself time to recover her bearings before moving on to something else. The doors of the lift opened, and she stepped inside finger hovering over the button just long enough to take in a last fragrant breath of the vegetative life she was leaving behind. That was enough. The future was scary, 
but you couldn't avoid it any more than you could outrun the past. She pushed the button and didn't look back. Holy ranker droppings. This part had it all. It had enough excitement to blow a hole in the universe. I must admit, my emotions were all over the hyperspace map. I was thrilled by the action, lifted up by the unexpected twist, and ultimately wowed by some of the best Star Wars writing I've encountered. But I just can't help but to wish there was more of this story. So yes, I am undeniably sad. This is the end of Red Harvest. Next week will bring season 8 to an end. But fear not, my fellow Star Wars family. That means that we get to do the giveaway. And that always lifts my spirit. So get those emails into us or join the Sway family so you will have a shot at those amazing prizes. Plus, we still have the quote of this episode, and this time it comes to us from Jester Washington. He said, success is not about getting what you want, but about becoming who you need to achieve it. Now let me break that down. You see, sometimes we think success is all about getting what we want, like houses, cars, or jewelry. But this quote reminds us that there is something even more important on our journey to success. It's about becoming the best version of ourselves. Imagine you have a big dream, like becoming a director, a scientist, or a famous athlete. To achieve that dream, you need to work hard, learn new things, and develop special skills. It's not about the end result, like playing in the Super Bowl or directing the next box office hit. It's about who you become in the process. Success is like a wonderful adventure where you grow and learn. It's about building qualities like courage, kindness, and determination. These qualities will help you overcome challenges and keep you going, even when things get tough. So instead of focusing only on what you want to achieve, think about who you need to become to make your dreams come true. Be curious, ask questions, explore new ideas, and never stop learning. Remember, success is not about reaching your goals. It's about becoming a stronger, better, and more confident person along the way. So enjoy the journey, embrace the challenges, and keep growing. You have the power to achieve amazing things and make a difference in this world. Keep dreaming, and remember that success comes not only from what you get, but from who you become. Believe in yourself and let your unique light shine bright. And I think that's all I have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and I hope you will join me next time for the season finale and giveaway. Some awesome prizes await you in the next episode. So until then, may the Force be with you, always. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pickfield Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and is distributed by Swaycast Network. Star Wars Red Harvest was read to you by Jeremy Owens. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I'm your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.